Thank you. Uh, it is my privilege this morning to come back uh, to finish off with our series in the grid, Apostle Grid. What an amazing time. And this morning is the last, yeah, the last one is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And amen. These are the three we covered this morning. Before we start, let's just pray. Lord, we ask you to, to take control of this platform this morning. Please speak to us as you always do. Make us understand what you have as a message for us this morning. Help me to deliver in a comprehensible way. In Jesus' name, amen. To start with this morning, um, Dave Molloy, can I just ask you to help me? I know I've not warned you, but uh, can you help me to read the Word of God in, uh, from 2 Corinthians? Two Corinthians fifteen, starting first from verse twelve to twenty-two. Sorry, one Corinthians, one Corinthians. Thank you, one Corinthians. Oh, 12, from 12. Now, since our message is that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that the dead will not be raised to life? If that is true, it means that Christ was not raised. And if Christ has not been raised from death, then we have nothing to preach, and you have nothing to believe. More than that, we are shown to be lying about God because we said that he raised Christ from death. But <clears throat> if it is true that, God, uh, that the dead are not raised to life, then he did not rise, raise Christ. For if the dead are raised, for, sorry, for if the dead are not raised, neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is a delusion, and you are still lost in your sins. I would also mean that that the believers in Christ who have died are lost. If our, hope is in, if our hope in Christ is good for this life only and no more, then we deserve more pity than anyone else in all the world. But the truth is that Christ has been raised from death as the guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. For just as death came by means of a man, in the same way, the rising from death comes by means of a man. For just as people die because of, their, because of their union with Adam, in the same way, 
all will be raised to life because of their union with Christ. Thank you. And from there, can you jump to 42, please? Verse 42. Yeah. This is how it will be when the dead are raised to life. When the body is buried, it is mortal. When raised, it will be immortal. When buried, it is ugly and weak. When raised, it will be beautiful and strong. When buried, it is a physical body. When raised, it will be a spiritual body. There is, of course, a physical body. So there has to be a spiritual, spiritual body. For the scripture says, the first man, Adam, was created a living being. But the last Adam is the life-giving spirit. It is not the spiritual that comes first, but the physical and then the spiritual. So shall we go to 50 to 55 now? Where death is your victory. Where death is your power to hurt. Death gets its power to hurt from sin. And sin gets its power from the law. But... Thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Amen. I know it is a long verse, read, a long Bible reading, but uh, it makes sense to us uh, very soon. So, we've heard a repetition of dead, 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 dead. If you're not dead, if you're dead, if you're raised, if you're not raised. So, Today, we, we are tackling something that has always been a mystery for human beings. Dead. But in Christ, we know that we've got the assurance. Assurance that one day, we'll raise again. In Christ, we'll raise again. And today's line of creeds, is to me the foundation of the Christian hope. It is the foundation of the Christian hope. To start with, I, I, I would go first to explore this concept of hope. The engine that drives every single one of us daily life is Here I'm not talking about Christian only. I'm talking about all the living. Every single individual. We hope. And that's the only engine that drives our daily life. Hope drives all our activities. For some, school, work, family life, friendship. Sometime going to our holiday, and so on. Hope. Everything is about hope. This means what we're hoping for shapes everything we do in life. What we're hoping in or hoping for will shape our relationship, our behavior, how we spend our time, sometimes how we educate our children. The way we spend our money. Christian or no Christian, it doesn't matter. What we hope for shapes 
me and you. For example, to solve our day-to-day life, we put our hope in money. Money enables us to pay bills, to organize how we go on holiday, to plan our future. We know that money helps to solve our problems. So, we think about it. I know I've got some money saved somewhere there. Then I hope that that money will help me to organize things around me. I was literally thinking about my neighbor, Katie, this morning. What does she hope for every morning when she wakes up and thinking about Trust House? So I put myself to be her, and I wanted to hope for something. So I hoped, me being Katie, that the next day morning, just like that, Jonathan becomes a millionaire. Then you just give a million to old trust house, bang, everything is solved. Then nothing to worry about anymore. I wish you would have said amen. Oh, yes. So we hope for things to happen. We put our hope in jobs, in accomplishment, in our education. Sometimes our hope is in our relationship, friends, wife, brother, sister, mother, father-in-law, grandparent. For some of us, we put our hope in our health, good health, our physical look. We, 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 we trust in our health in the way to determine our future. Hope. Having this hope is not a bad thing. It's not, it's not bad in general. We need to hope for things. Money is not a bad thing to hope for. We, we need money to organize ourselves, as I said. And it's not wrong if Katie thinks, by, for example, that tomorrow is just go, she's got a million to solve. She's got a passion to help people. And for her to do that, she needs means to do that. And if money could help to solve this problem, it's not bad that she hopes to have money. The problem arises when this hope moves away from being general hope and becomes ultimate hope, the final way of looking at things. The moment these become ultimate hope, the hope becomes misplaced. And misplaced hope is dangerous. It is catastrophic. A good example of this ultimate hope, I'll come back again to money. Many people's ultimate hope is in the ability to make money. Money, money, money. For them, there is no life than having money. And we know it today. We know people cannot look at anything else than having money. They believe money 
will solve everything for them. And without knowing it, very quickly, we're moving away from hoping to become slave to money. Do I have enough? Do I have enough saved for my future? Do I have enough saved for my pension? Do I have enough for this? Do I have enough for that? The engine that drives your life now becomes money, nothing else. The idea of having enough money will enslave your life. You become restless when you don't have money. You will wake up in the middle of the night worried about money. You will spend days wondering how much I have. Your day-to-day life is defined by one thing. Money is just one example. But we've got a lot of other examples where people put the ultimate hope in. It could be a relationship. Without my husband, without my father, without this person, my life is nothing. The person starts controlling your life. Or even you putting that hope, that too much hope in that person, it doesn't only affect you that you become anxious about it, but also the person feels the pressure because this has become your ultimate hope. One thing we are putting our hope in start bringing about anxiety, depression, fear, fears, worries. This is a clear indication that we are putting our ultimate hope on in the wrong things. To be clear about this, if thinking about Money, whatever you have, whatever you're putting your hope in, start making you, bringing to you sleepless night, anxiety, and think, stop there. Just think a little bit. Is this start taking control of your life? And if so, this becomes a problem. It becomes a problem. Why am I talking about hope here? It is because our faith as Christian is based on one thing. Hope. Like other people. They hope for a lot of stuff, but us, our faith is based on that hope. The hope is mainly this. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Resurrection of the body. In our reading, in verse 
42. The Bible says, so it will so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown dishonored. It is, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised in spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. This chapter deals with a bodily resurrection. The bodily resurrection of the saint. The Bible makes, the, this Bible passage makes it clear for us that we will have a physical body on resurrection. We shouldn't misunderstand the spiritual body here. It doesn't mean that we raise like ghosts. No. But it means we will have a physical body that will be like the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. So, how that, dif- how that body would be different to our current body? I would like to introduce this here to concept or one, resuscitation, because we're talking about resurrection already. This will help us to understand. When we are resuscitated, we are back to life with the same body, facing the same challenges, the same pain. We face death again. We know that Jesus did some wonderful miracles. And one of the the most common one we know is that Jesus resuscitated Lazarus from death. We know that, isn't it? He came back to life. But when he came back, he came back with the same physical body. He was back to life facing the same challenges that he left for a while. And even more importantly, Lazarus has to face death twice because he still died. It is not rare to come across people at some stage of their life where they say, hmm, they don't want to be here anymore because of what they've been through. Some of them because of the health challenges, some of them, the body is just almost breaking down. Some of them, things that has happened to them in life, the body is giving away, mentally, physically. My day-to-day in hospital, I meet, I meet with people who makes it clear to me If anything happened to me, please do not resist it. I don't want to come back to life. And I know some among us have had this kind of discussion with the doctor. We reach a stage in our life when we feel like I've had enough. 
there is no hope anymore. Or, my time is done now. I cannot really deal anymore with this physical body. But when we're facing that, sometimes we feel like this is new. It's not. It is in the Bible. Please, shall we open our book, our Bible in Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 8. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 8. I'm reading. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the day of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars draw dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinder sees because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the door to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people raise up at the sound of the bird, but all their song grow faint, when people are afraid, of height and of danger in the street. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer in steered, then people go to eternal home and mourners go about streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, and the wheel broken at the wheel. And the dust returned to the ground it came from, and the spirit returned to God who gave it. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Other version says this, Vanity of vanities, said the preacher. All is vanity. Another version. Fertility of fertilities, said the preacher. All is fertilities. This poetic passage describes clearly how at some point of our life, this life, this physical body, will feel like. The Bible advised us to really remember our Creator when we're able to do because one day will come when we're not able to enjoy these things anymore. That's the physical body we have now. When we read this stage in our life, everything becomes meaningless. Sometimes we just want to go to sleep. We don't want to face reality anymore. Our body seems not to enjoy anything. Who would want to come back and live a life that is not 
enjoyable anymore. The life of pain, the life of stress, the life of anxiety. So, hope is not on resuscitation, as I said. When you are resuscitated, you're coming back to face the same challenge. Our hope is not on that. Our hope for us to be resurrected is not on coming back into this body. When we are resuscitated, I insist we back into the same body. Nothing has changed. We'll be faced with the same struggle. So, this breed is not talking about resuscitation. It's talking about resurrection. Big difference. That means we will be raised by the same power and the same reality that Jesus was raised from death. We've moved away from this natural body. When we are resurrected, we will be different with no more pain or sorrow. The baptismal confession doesn't speak of resurrection of bodies. Let's make it clear. It's not about resurrection of bodies, but the resurrection of the body. Not bodies, but the body. Singular. The suggestion here is that what will raise up on the last day will not be individuals, but the body of Christ. A single person that incorporates the whole humanity with Jesus Christ at his head. Christian hope is not a hope just for me. It is a social hope. It is a hope for humanity that is centered on communion with the person of Jesus. Because now we have resurrected body of Christ, it means that we are free of any problems known to our human body. No disease, no pain, no depression, no sorrow, no pride. The body we have will be different. Our new resurrected body is eternal. That is, its destination is an everlasting life. So, when we are resurrected, because our destination is eternal life, the body we'll have will not face any of these challenges that we are facing now. No more. It will be completely different. This is what we're hoping for. An eternal life with no issues. Here comes the ultimate hope for all Christians. This is what drives or should be driving every Christian daily life. The hope that one day will come when we'll be resurrected like Jesus Christ. 
and nothing of pain or stress will be part of our life anymore. Many of us have been through a lot. And some of these things have shaped our life. I don't know what you've been through. Maybe that one thing shapes your life now. And you don't even enjoy life anymore because of that. Sometimes, not because you want it. Sometimes, not because of your own fault. Sometimes, we do not even understand why this has happened to us. Let me remind you one thing today again. Our hope is not on these things. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's promised to you and me that there will be a day when there will be no more pain. While some people today hope that the good deed will determine the future. While other hope that reincarnation will determine their cycle of life. While many other hope there will not be afterlife. Christian together through the body of Christ we have the assurance to resurrect bodily and to have eternal life. Why? Because for others, the ultimate hope resides on themselves. Whereas for you and me, our hope resides on the one who has done it all. It is done, Jesus said at the cross. Eternal life is about the quality of life, not a quantity of life. Let me repeat that. Eternal life is about the quality of life, not the quantity of life. Often we think of eternal life of the length, no hand. No, it's that quality of life that Jesus has promised to bring to us. It is a quality of life that believers experience already when they attach, attach themselves to Jesus. We need to experience this quality of life from now, which means that when our hope is not put, our ultimate hope is not put into money, if it is put in Jesus Christ, that quality of life, we start experiencing it now. We're not waiting for days to come. We're not waiting for that resurrected body to come. It's now and now. John 3.16 says, John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 5.24, anyone who hears my my word and believes in me 
believe in him who sent me has eternal life. 1 John 2, 1 John 1, 2. He is called the eternal life that was with the Father. John 17, 3. And this eternal life, they may know, and this is eternal life, they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. When we confess eternal life, the focus is not on duration, but it is on our relationship with Jesus. And once we've got that relationship with him, the quality of our life is better now. Why are we putting our hope in things that brings only anxiety, deception, stress? What brings anxiety to your life? Every morning, when you wake up, what are you hoping for? This thing will always deceive you. I know how I deceived my daughter one day, Erica. She's so used to dad. Give me this, dad. I want this, dad. I want this. One day, surprisingly, she comes around, dad, I want this. And God goes, Erica, I don't have money. True story. She's here. Erika don't have money. She goes like, what? Say, yeah. I don't have money. She goes, how? Say, yeah, Erika, I don't have money. She's quite surprised. Dad, you don't have money. I believe up to the, that point of her life, she was so convinced that whenever I go to dad, there will be that solution. She was shocked. She was looking at me like lost. I don't have money, my daughter. Two days, left, two days later, she comes back to me, asking me the question, Dad, how can you not have money? <laughs> oh. John 11 25 to 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. When we find Jesus, we soon realize that death is not death anymore. Our relationship with Jesus doesn't end with death. Death becomes another place where we go and meet with our Lord. That's our hope. Since we are eternal, how? How do we care about the eternity of our soul? We've seen Jesus is there. He offers that quality of life. But the big question is often, how do we care about the eternity of our soul? How comfortable are we with things that we know displeased our God? Or to be clear, 
how comfortable are we with sin? Today, world, people don't care anymore. He's done it all. It means we cannot be slave to sin anymore. Or to put it clear, sin is death. And if Jesus has overcome death, he's overcome sin. And if Jesus is within you and me, and he is, if he's the one that will, resurrect, will be resurrected in you and me, there is no place for sin in our life anymore. Why are we still comfortable with sin? How much do we care about this eternal life that is that now? The quality of life. That quality of life is eternal. Can't correspond to death anymore. And sin is death. Jesus has done it all. Not you. Your trust in him will move you away from sin. But you have to look up to him. Then you, you wouldn't be distracted by all this other stuff. We sin often because we, so, we, we are looking into stuff that are not important to our life. That without knowing it, the next thing is bound. Or oh, did I really do this? Jesus doesn't enjoy the life of a sinner. He doesn't. That's why he paid that price. So every single one will deserve this. A resurrected body that will be like him, but also the eternal life. These two do not work together. How caring are you about this eternal life Jesus has provided to you? Are you still comfortable in your sin? If so, he's there with his arms open. He knows that we cannot do it by ourselves. That's why he died. So we can be able to overcome sins. What is that little thing in your life that you feel you can't overcome? You know for sure that it is not okay with the life you've embraced now. Do you feel like you can't do it? Our proclamation of the great, especially in this part, is to say that we've embraced a type of life that is not compatible with sin anymore. Because it's eternal life. It is eternal because there's been death. There's been an end. And that end came through sin. We can't live in both. We've chosen Christ because we know that is the true ultimate hope. How caring are you?
for your eternal soul. I'm insisting. But I can't stop there. How do you care about the eternal soul of your neighbor or of others? Do you keep this wonderful hope to yourself? Or are you concerned like Jesus to bring that hope to your neighbor or somebody else? To be clear, how often do you share Jesus with other people? Are you too busy not to share him? Are you too busy not to share the hope you have? Are you too busy not to share the hope of resurrection? Are you not too busy not to share the hope of eternal life? Or are you so happy that you have him now, you don't care about anybody else? I leave that reflection to you this morning. The great finished by saying, Amen. Amen. The amen has a sense. We join back our thought to, to those who existed thousands of years ago. We are saying that part, we are part of people of God. We are saying that the God of the Bible knows what is best. We declare, I believe God has heard what I've said. Amen is not just a throwaway word. To say amen to the greed is to sign my name to it. I confirm the truth of it and I authorize it. But how can anyone say amen to all of this? 2 Corinthians 1, 18 to 20. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not a yes and no. But in him, it is always yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The old greed is nothing to do with us. The greed is about God's action, God's agency, and God's initiative. When we say amen at the end, we are part participating in the action of Jesus. We investigate the face of God and see God's way and walk and say yes. Jesus alone has the authority to pronounce amen. It is he who investigates the death, the death, death of God and tells us what he sees. Revelation 3 14. They are men, the faithful and true witness. In him, they are men to God, become 
personified. When at the end of the grid we say amen, we are all joining our voice to Jesus, to the voice of Jesus. We are all allowing ourselves to be caught up to the amen of Jesus. Just as he started, I believe we end by saying, Amen.